Over the last year, we have followed the church of Ephesus through the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that. I hadn't talked about it a ton, but we've kind of done that. We saw them in Acts chapter 18, uh, that the church was located in a hostile context in a thriving metropolis called Ephesus. And we saw that this letter to the Ephesians, that God wanted to remind this persecuted church who they were, and that they were chosen, adopted, and accepted, and to remind them that we have the victory and we can have the hope in Jesus Christ. This was a hard place to live. And Paul taught them and showed them what they have in Christ. And then we saw Paul give some instructions to a young pastor named Timothy in the letters to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy on how to handle his new position as pastor of the church of Ephesus. And Paul challenged them not just to give an offering, but to be an offering and to live for the life that lasts longer. Then over the years, the church of Ephesus had these great successes in this really hard setting. We talked about uh, what Ephesus was. It was a city that was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was known for its extravagant temple to the goddess Artemis. And there was also uh, 13 other uh, temples to various other gods as well. And it also was a port. It was where people would come and go and and, uh, trade and uh, inventory would come in, and it had one of the most extravagant markets of that time in all of the world. Textiles, spices, expensive things, beautiful things from all over the world. And it was a hard place for Christians to live out their life. There were so many distractions. And and it was uh, just a hard place to follow Christ. Now in this marketplace, this extravagant marketplace, they had this incense burner at the front before you entered in where everybody that came into this marketplace, this social hub for uh, the society, they would have to pick up some incense and place that incense in a burner. And that was an offering to Domitian, who was the emperor of the time. So Christians had to be conflicted with this. Am I going to worship this king as God, or am I going to say, no, I'm not going to put any other god before me? These are common things that these people had to live out. It was a challenging time. Uh, There also was a temple to the uh, emperor Domitian in that city as well. Now, Domitian was a bad guy. He was second only to Nero as a persecutor of the church. And he despised Christians for the fact that they would not bow down and worship him as a god. And imagine what that would be like if society told us we had to bow down to a man and worship him. But among all of this, This church still thrived, and they had seen great revival. They had seen the church grow. There was even an instance where all the people came together and destroyed their books of pagan magic. There was another time where they made the uh, idol makers upset because they weren't buying idols anymore. This church was changing the community that they were living in, and they were seeing big things happen. It was organized. And it was busy, and it was making a real impact on the community around them. They had grown rapidly and remained faithful for years. This was an awesome church. And Paul had so many great things to say about this church in Ephesus. It was a beacon of hope for other churches in hostile contexts. So let's look at the last time that the church of Ephesus was mentioned in the Bible. That's going to be found in Revelation chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. 
Now, most scholars believe that the book of Revelation was written by John the Apostle or John the Beloved. And you remember him, right? That was the one that laid over on Jesus' shoulder. That was the only disciple that was left still at the cross that didn't uh, uh, turn his back on Jesus in his crucifixion. And it was also the one that uh, was tasked with taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Jesus' absence. Now, tradition tells us that John the Apostle, that same John, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, had moved to Ephesus, and that years after that, that in, a, in that city, that John was banished by that emperor Domitian. You remember he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, right? And uh, so this is what's happening. So John had been there. John knew this church. So let's recap and see all these amazing things that God had done for the church of Ephesus. Paul started the church. Timothy had pastored it. Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos had taught there. And John, the apostle, had ministered there as well. So 40 years after the planting of this church and the start of this church, this was perhaps one of the most thoroughly instructed church in all of the first century. And now we see in Revelation where we're going we're to see what uh, John had to say about this church after 40 years of being a thriving church in a hostile context. Now, before we jump into Revelation, realize that this is a book that's full of a lot of imagery and symbolism. There's angels and stars that represent elders and pastors, and there's lampstands that they talk about. That's when you see that in the Bible, in Revelation especially, it's going to be a representation of the church, like we're a light. You get it? That's pretty cool, right? Uh, But make no mistake, even though there's imagery and even though there's symbolism, God here is speaking to a literal church in Ephesus. And uh, we're going to see what he says. Let's start in verse 2 of chapter 2. Here's what he's going to say to Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Wow, that's pretty awesome so far, right? I would love for God to say that about our church, that we haven't grown weary. We haven't let false doctrine come in. We've worked hard and we've endured, and, and that we'd run away from evil. And, and to this church, he said, you've had spiritual discernment for 40 years, and you have not allowed false doctrine or false teachers to creep into the church. You haven't got burnt out or tired. You have not quit. Later in verse 6, God goes on and says this. He says this about them as well. He says, this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, that's great too. Let's talk about who those were. Nicolaitans were people that had followed a fallen church leader named Nicholas. And Nicholas had taught them that because of grace that God gives to us through Jesus, that we could sin and not have to worry about hurting our relationship with God. He says any physical sin, you don't have to worry about it. And some of these uh, men begin to buy into this idea. And this is what Clement wrote of the Nicolaitans. It's kind of funny. Uh, He says this. He said, they abandon themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. That's what it meant to be a Nicolaitan. They would, just, they would be people that would be involved in all sorts of thing, things. They, they, they believed that the sin that was done in their body was insignificant, and all that mattered was their soul. 
So these followers of Jesus begin to buy into this idea that they could take part in sin like sex outside of marriage, drunkenness, gluttony, violence, and that it wouldn't affect their relationship with God. And this is a common thing kind of today too, right? You see people just do whatever they want and they say, don't judge me. Who are you to believe that, you know, that I uh, can't do anything or this or that? And we see people that live this way. They think, well, I can just say I'm sorry at the end of this and God's going to forgive me. And although that's true, Romans 6 tells us, should I, we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. By no means. So they live in bondage, the people that would follow the Nicolaitans. They live in bondage to the things that God had called us to have freedom from. See, sin is not just God's uh, random things that he says, well, I don't know, I'll say don't do this and don't do that. Well, maybe it's wrong to, to lie to somebody. I will say that's wrong. It's, these are not random things. These are things that God instituted because they're what's best for us to do. These are things that hurt us. But the church of Ephesus hated that teaching of the Nicolaitans, and they knew that it was wrong. So they get another gold star, right? Go, church of Ephesus. You're doing awesome. So far, this would have been the church of the year. They could put a trophy in their lobby uh, behind some glass and, and, you know, three cheers for the church of Ephesus, right? They did some good things. But let's look at verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. Uh-oh. Nothing that follows this is going to be any good at all. And I know if God has something against me, I'm on the wrong side regardless. Like, I don't want that to happen to me. But this is what he says. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. See, for the church of Ephesus and these followers of Jesus, that church had become like a habit. Church had become like this project, this club that they had joined. It was just a duty It was work without wonder, and it was labor without love. They had lost the love. They had conformed to the patterns of religion with little real transformation by the Holy Spirit. They left their first love. Now, me and you would probably have a hard time to be able to point these people out, and that's why it's important that God said this, because it's hard for us to judge other people's motives, but God knows the heart. And God says, hey, you were, had some things right, and you did this, and on the outside, you looked like a great church, but I know on the inside, church had really become about church and not about Jesus. And God says, you left your first love. There's a lyrics to an old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God that I love. See, there's not many people that are more unhappy in life than a redeemed person that soul is no longer satisfied with God. Have you ever been to a dead church? Hopefully it's not today. But have you ever been to a dead church? I've been to a few where I walk in and be like, whoa, ah, man, this feels awkward. And this feels weird. It doesn't feel like church that I'm used to. And it's not the music. It's not the preaching. It's just like dead as Four o'clock, as my old pastor used to say, whatever that means. But if you've ever been in a church like that, you know there's, some of those people are kind of mean, right? Some of those people are really unhappy. You go in there and you're like, oh, I stepped on the wrong carpet, I'm, my bad. Oh, this is your pew, my bad. And everything is like, oh, I, I, I'll just leave, I'm sorry, I inconvenienced you. Uh, 
But a dead church, people that are not satisfied with God anymore, is not going to be a happy place. I've met plenty of people that have been saved for a long time, and they had no joy and no love in their life. And as a Christian, you're not going to find peace. You're going to cry, and you're going to, just like that example we just had, right? (laughs) We love our children, Miss Nell. Thank you so much. That is life right there. We like that. Cry it up. Come on, give us another one. Yeah! It's amen. There you go. Oh, give it to her. That'll work, right? (laughs) But we will not find peace when we are not satisfied with God. See, you're in a bad way if you're here today, and Scripture for you has no taste. And when the sermon's given, it bounces off your cold, stony heart. And when you pray, you're distracted and unfocused. You're in a bad place, and I know that personally because I have been there as well. Church got to be about church and not about Jesus. The Bible got to be a checklist thing and not a love letter. And prayer got to be distant and devoid of any passion. We can get to these places, but we cannot stay there because you will be unhappy. You are made to live in fellowship with God. Greg Morse says this. He says, spiritual dullness often results from my treating God like a pigeon in the park to whom I leisurely throw crumbs of my leftover devotion after a long day of caring about other things. In such seasons, God allows my joylessness to snap me out of treating him as a hobby, to learn afresh, to seek his face as if he was, well, God. And even though I love Jesus, my love threatens to grow cold when the familiar becomes taken for granted and neglected. And that's what happened here in Ephesus. They had zeal for orthodoxy. They had zeal for schedules. And they had uh, zeal for Bible studies and debating heretics. But they lost the pure love relationship that they had with God. They stood against evil in their midst, but they tolerated a sluggish love for Jesus within themselves and those around them. They privately were abandoning Christ in their public crusade for truth about Christ. They left their first love. And see, this is, uh, becomes a problem for those of us that have been in church for our entire life, and it's just been part of the culture, and it's just something that we've always done. We didn't really ever have to decide that we were going to go to church. It just kind of happened. We showed up one day, and we've been here ever since. And some of us are like that. Maybe you really never had to make a decision for yourself if you wanted this thing called a relationship with God, because for you, it was an arranged marriage that your parents put together, or you're just going to be a Christian, and you've never had to make that decision for yourself if you wanted it, and you're just here. It's just what you do. Good people go to church, so that's why I'm at church. There's a problem with that. See, because the Christian walk is not about behavior modification. It's not just getting you to do what the Bible says. It's a love relationship with God. And many of you might be here today and not understand that. And you say, Pastor Phil, that has not been my experience with church. And that's why I'm preaching this message. Is because I want you to know there's more out there. There's better out there. There's bigger out there. You can live an exciting Christian life. How could you have a relationship with someone that made the stars and the universe and not be excited about that? 
Remember back when you got saved? Remember when you used to serve others just to serve people? Because you knew that you were serving Jesus? Yes, it might tire us out. It might frustrate us. But it's, if it's out of love, in the end, we're going to feel filled up and not drained. Because you know that you've pleased your Savior that has done so much for us. See, I don't want to give God my leftovers. I don't want to live a cold, dead Christian life of duty, of obligation. I want to live in a passion relationship with the love that I had at first. Remember back to when you were saved. If it was anything like me and my wife's and those that I've talked about, you remember just a, a weight off your shoulders because you no longer had to bear the weight of your sin. Days seemed a little sunnier. You loved to pray because this is this cool thing all of a sudden. Wait, I can talk to God? You took time to read God's word just to see what it said instead of just to check off a box. And you looked for people to serve instead of looking to avoid serving. Well, here God gives us the perfect formula to get our love life with Christ back on track, to get back to our first love. Here it is. I'm going to say it. You repeat it. Remember, repent, repeat. Miss Valerie helped you out. She put it on the, on the screen there for you. You ready? Let's say it all together. Remember, repent, repeat. Let's do it one more time. Remember, repent, repeat. Let's look at the verse that tells us that in Revelation 2, 4. It says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember the fire and the passion you used to have in your relationship with Christ. Remember uh, getting back to that place where you loved going to church and you were excited to go to church. And then repent for that cold, apathetic, ungrateful, and complacent attitude that you have. And then repeat, go back to worshiping Jesus. Go back to the love that you had at first. See, the church of Ephesus had so much that was still good about the church. And we might look at it and say, man, they've got a great uh, a pantry for the uh, people in the society. Hey, they've got this uh, visitation program. And we might look at all the things that the church of Ephesus had, but what they missed was the most important thing. They were hardworking. They were busy. They had endurance. They ran away from evil. But they lost the love. They lost the first love, the love that they had at first. And because of this verse, Revelation 5 verse 2 says this. God says to them, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember what lampstand means? I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There is no guarantee that Clarksburg Baptist Church will be here in 10 years. There's no guarantee it'll be here in five years. It'll be here in one year, here on the corner of Pike and Sixth. In fact, in Romans 11:17, it talks about olive trees. And olive trees can live hundreds of years, but sometimes olive branches can stop producing. And so the farmers would cut off those old branches and they would graft in younger branches that would produce. Old non-producing branches were removed to make room for producing branches. 
We don't want our lampstand removed, right? We cannot forget the love that we had at first. That's where our life and our vibrancy come from. The love of Christ is where our power source is. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's bow our heads right now and just stay in your seat for a second. I want you just to think back with me. Let's go back in time for a second. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You personally. Think back with me to a time you felt the closest to God. Answer that question for yourself. You felt like he was right beside you. Your love for Jesus was like a roaring flame. Why aren't you there right now? Why aren't you there right now? Is it because God is less good today than he was back then? Is God less gracious? Has he forgiven you less than he did before? Is God less merciful? No. We have got to get back to the love that we had at first. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe that's you. Maybe we described you today. And I'm not coming up here and telling you I'm a person that's never had to struggle with this. There have been times where I had to wake up my heart and say, wait a minute, remember what God has done for you. There have been times I've had to just think back. I'm going to think about all the blessings God has given me. And I'm just going to praise him until my heart wakes up. Maybe that's what you need to do today. There your head's bowed and eyes closed. The band's going to play, play softly. And if that's you, if you need to get back to the love that you had at first, I welcome you to come down today or make a, a, an altar of your seat. You call out to God. Remember, repent, repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. If that's you today, you come now.